Good morning, Fellowship Greenville. Let's begin this morning in prayer. Father God, we thank you for your word. We thank you that for how clear it is and how it speaks to us. And Father, as we open your book this morning, we pray that you would open our eyes to see and our ears to hear. Give us hearts that are soft toward you so that we can hear what the Holy Spirit has for us today. And we ask these things in Jesus' name, amen. You know, when it comes to the Bible, lots of people have lots of problems with what they find in this book. People say they can't believe the Bible because it's full of contradictions. People say they don't believe in the Bible because they heard some professor uh, say that uh, the Bible was just pieced together by the church to exert power and authority over people. They say they can't believe the Bible because they're repulsed by things like God-ordained war and violence and blood sacrifices and crude, weird uh, social and religious laws and practices and things like that. But one of the things, maybe the, the thing that really gets people hung up is this whole idea of judgment, of a God who judges. There's a line in the Apostles' Creed, which is a very early summary of the most basic core elements of the Christian faith, and it says about Jesus that he shall come to judge the quick and the dead. And uh, Tim Keller said this, I heard him say it a long time ago, but it was true of me as a child as well. But when I was a kid, I used to think that that meant that when Jesus comes back, there will be some people who will try to run away as quickly as they, as they possibly can, but God will catch them anyway. Now, the quick and the dead simply means the living and the dead, but modern people find this whole idea about God's judgment uh, very offensive. Most people, if they believe in a God of some kind, like a God of their own making, they believe that God is a God of love and mercy and compassion, certainly not an angry God of wrath and judgment. And a lot of people, both outside the church and some inside the church, say that they like Jesus, but they don't like the God of the Old Testament. Their perception of Jesus is that he is loving and gentle and accepting and affirming and kind, but the Old Testament God is harsh and angry and judgmental. They say the golden rule and Jesus' emphasis on loving our neighbor and loving our enemies and, and helping the poor and the oppressed, those are still good ethics for us today, which of course they are, but they see the God in the Old Testament promoting all those things that I mentioned earlier, like war and violence and blood sacrifices and enslaving laws and rituals and oppressive social standards. The fact is, Jesus talks a lot about God's judgment, and he makes it very clear that he and the Father, the God of the Old Testament, are of one and of the same essence. And he spells that out in the passage that we're going to look through, uh, work through today. Now, so take your Bible, whether it's paper or digital, and find your way to John chapter 12, and we're going to be looking at verses 35 to 50, but we're also going to back up and look at the bigger picture of what's happening here. Now, this is very important. 
this passage marks the end of Jesus' public ministry. These are the last things that Jesus will say in public. In the next chapter, chapter 13, in running through chapter 17, Jesus continues to teach, and there's a lot of great teaching here, what we call the upper room discourse, but he's only talking to his disciples on the night of his, the last night of his life. And then he, then comes his death and resurrection. So again, what we're about to read are the last things that Jesus says in public, and it's about judgment. It's about belief and unbelief and judgment. Now, by the way, this is a natural break in the Gospel of John, and so we're going to take a break uh, from John for the summer. We're going to work through a topical series that we're calling Disciple, and a disciple is someone who does life with Jesus in community and on mission. And that's a great topic for us to discuss over the summer because it sets up what Jesus teaches his disciples in the upper room discourse that we'll pick back up in the fall. Now, one more thing. Some of these verses are pretty complex. Some of the theology in the passage is complex and deep, and it requires you to really, really think. But In our short time together today, I I won't be able to talk about everything on the deep level that some of you uh, might hope. So I know right up front, I know I'm setting some of you up for disappointment. Now, what I'm going to do is I'm going to cover the big ideas, the main ideas of the passage, and the one big idea that governs the whole passage is this, that anyone and everyone can receive eternal life by believing that Jesus was sent by the Father to save them from judgment. Anyone and everyone can receive eternal life by believing that Jesus was sent by the Father to save them from judgment. And for all the complexity and all the questions that you might want answered in this passage, the big idea is this. You receive eternal life by believing that Jesus was sent by the Father to save you from judgment. Now, let me give you the big picture overview of how all this uh, uh, shakes out. Uh, This is, we're going to get into some Bible study here. Verses 37 to 43 are John's commentary on Israel's unbelief. It's the bookend to what John told us back in chapter one when he said that he came to his own people, but his own people did not receive him. And then verses 44 to 50, and all of this is in your sermon notes online, verses 44 to 50 are John's summary of Jesus' core message, a summary of what Jesus taught over the course of his three-year public ministry. And these final verses, uh, 44 to 50, uh, are also a bookend to what John said back in chapter 1, verse 4, in him was life and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. So here at the end of Jesus' public ministry, we see exactly what John told us from the very beginning. Jesus, Israel's Messiah, came and preached salvation to Israel, but they rejected him. 
He came as the light of the world, but the world did not receive him. So the passage breaks down in two parts. Number one, John's commentary on Jesus' final invitation to Israel and John's summary of Jesus' gracious invitation to us. His commentary and his summary and judgment plays a key role in both invitations. Now look at John 12, 35. Now Jesus has just predicted his own death back in verses 32 and 33. He's going to die by crucifixion, which makes no sense to the crowd listening to him that day. Look at verse 34. When the crowd heard him say, the Son of Man must be lifted up, they said, who is, who is this Son of Man? This, this kind of Son of Man doesn't make any sense, and that's, that is scorn, and that is mockery. And what they're saying is, Jesus, we reject you. I mean, when you came riding into town on that donkey on Palm Sunday, we thought that you might really be the Messiah. But now, but now we know you're not because you're talking about death. And everybody knows that Messiahs don't die on crosses. The law of God says the Messiah will live forever. And that's true. The law did say Messiah would have an eternal kingdom, Daniel chapter 7. But the Old Testament also said that he would die, that he would be cut off. Daniel chapter 9, and he would be wounded for our transgressions, uh, Isaiah 53. But, but they couldn't accept that, so they turn on him midweek, and by Friday, they are screaming, crucify him, crucify him. And it's in that context that verse 35 opens up our section, and Jesus gives his final call, his final invitation uh, to Israel. This is the last thing he says in public. Verse 35, so Jesus said to them, the light is among you for a little while longer. Walk while you have the light, lest the darkness overtake you. The one who walks in the darkness does not know where he is going. While you have the light, believe in the light that you might become sons of light. Now, this is Jesus' final invitation to Israel, his final invitation. And it's positive and negative. The positive is Jesus has come as light. He is the light, light of God's life. He's the light of God's truth. He's the light of God's wisdom. He's the light of God's righteousness. He's the light of God's holiness, the light of his love. He's the light that shines in darkness to show us who God really is and what God is really like. And the positive is there's still time, but the time is short. The opportunity is coming to an end. And he's saying now, and I mean right now, now is the time to believe. Believe in me and you will be saved. Now the sad thing the, the negative thing is most of them did not respond to the invitation. I mean, for three years they had rejected him, and this is the final call. He says, and when, and when he says, uh, in a little while longer, what he's saying is when he, finish, when he finishes speaking, he will never again appear in public to preach and teach. When he finishes speaking, it's over, verse 36. When he said these things, he departed and hid himself. And that right there, in and of itself, is an act of judgment. His physical hiding 
was an act of judgment. No more light. Israel had seen all the evidence. They had heard all the teaching. They had seen all the miracles. It was all done openly, publicly, in the light, but now it's over. Darkness had come. Why? Why? Verse 37. Here's John's commentary on Israel's unbelief. Verse 37. Though he had done many, many signs before them, they still did not believe in him so that the word spoken by the prophet Isaiah might be fulfilled. Lord, who has believed what he's heard from us and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? Verse 39, therefore they could not believe. Underline that. Therefore they could not believe. For again Isaiah said, he has blinded their eyes and hardened their heart lest they see with their eyes and understand with their heart and turn, and I would heal them. Isaiah said these things because he saw his glory and spoke of him. Now, this is the theologically complex part that I mentioned earlier because what you have here is the much debated issues of God's sovereignty and human responsibility. And there's something else here. There's a theologically complex part to all this, and there's a prophetically profound part to all of this going all the way back uh, to Isaiah. So let me see if I can simplify both parts by pulling them all together like this. Here's the main idea in verses uh, four, uh, 37 to 41. When Israel would not believe, judgment came, and they could not believe. When Israel would not believe, judgment came, and then they could not believe. Now, by the way, that idea is not original with me. I don't know who said it first, but I think it's a perfect commentary on what John says here. Look at the text. Verse 37 says, even though he did many, many signs, they still didn't believe in him. Some translations say they would not believe in him. For three years, they refused to believe in Jesus, even though they heard him teach with great authority, and they saw him perform all kinds of miracles that demonstrated his divine power. And so verses 37 and 38 tell us they would not believe. Verses 39 and 40 tell us, therefore, they could not believe. Look at it again, verse 49. Therefore, they could not believe. Why? Because they would not believe. And there you have the theological complexity of the paradox of human responsibility and God's sovereignty, which, as I said, I'm not gonna unpack all of that in this message. If you wanna jump into that subject, I suggest that you check out my message called The uh, Salvation Paradox in our Paradoxology series, which is available online. I'm focusing on one point here, and that is, because they would not believe, judgment came, and then they could not believe. Now, Isaiah prophesied this about Israel 700 years before Christ. John says, they still were not believing in him, which fulfilled the word of Isaiah the prophet when he spoke, Lord, who has believed what he's heard from us, and to whom has the arm of the Lord, that's the power of the Lord, um, who, has, uh, who has believed what he's heard from us, and to whom has the power of the Lord been revealed? Now, what's that about? Well, this comes from Isaiah 53, that great chapter uh, telling us about Jesus' life 
and his death for our sins. And you remember, he was crushed for our iniquities, uh, pierced for our transgression, uh, scourged for our healing, led like a lamb to slaughter. He was cut off, killed. Our judgment fell on him. It's all about Jesus. And in verse 38, John connects what Isaiah said there in Isaiah 53 about Jesus to the two questions that opened that chapter, Isaiah 53. Who has believed what he's heard from us? And to whom has the arm, the divine power of the Lord, been revealed? Isaiah is prophesying about the Babylonian captivity and the devastating death and destruction that's coming on Israel. And he's saying, he's saying it's too late. It's too late. The day of repentance has passed. The day of judgment has come. And God has been patient. I mean, for centuries, he's saying, you heard the word of the Lord, but you didn't listen. For centuries, you saw the power of the Lord, but it made no difference. You didn't repent and believe. You would not believe, so judgment has been pronounced, and now you cannot believe. And that uh, now you cannot believe parallels the text from Isaiah chapter 6, where God says that he has blinded the eyes of the people, he's hardened their hearts so they could not see with their eyes or perceive with their hearts lest they turn and be healed. John points back to the prophecy in Isaiah chapter 6 to make uh, the point that the same thing that happened to Israel uh, back then is happening to Israel again. History has repeated itself. And what happened in, to Israel in Isaiah's day has now happened to Israel in Jesus' day. But it's more than that. According to verse 41, Isaiah said these things, referring to Isaiah 6, because he saw, get this, he saw Jesus' glory and he spoke about him. Now here's what's so profound about this prophecy. We learn here for the first time that Isaiah's vision in chapter 6, Isaiah chapter 6, you remember that in the year that King Isaiah died, I saw the Lord high and lifted up, and the edges of his robe filled the temple. And then later on in, in the chapter, he says, who will go for us? And, and then he says, go tell the people that judgment is coming, but know this, they will not listen because I blinded them so they cannot see and hardened them so they won't, won't respond. And now we know, ready for this? Now we know that what Isaiah saw in chapter six was a vision of the Lord Jesus himself. Look at it, verse 41. Isaiah said this because he saw his glory and spoke of him. So in Isaiah six, it was Jesus saying because they would not believe, now they cannot believe. It was Jesus pronouncing judgment then, and he's pronouncing judgment again in John chapter 12. So this is his final call. It is his final invitation, when the, uh, and then judgment falls. It's like this. Here's the sequence. It's invitation, rejection, judgment, hardening. Invitation, rejection, judgment, and hardening. Now, yes, of course, there was a remnant who did believe the 12, the 70, the 120 in Jerusalem, but most did not. Look at verse 42. 
uh, nevertheless, many, even of the authorities, believed in him, but for fear of the Pharisees, they did not confess it, so they would be put out, wouldn't be put out of the synagogue. For they love the glory that comes from man more than the glory that comes from God. I take this to mean that there were many religious leaders who were on the fence. And I believe that some of these religious leaders did end up make, uh, making a public confession that Jesus is Lord later on. Men like uh, Nicodemus and Joseph of Arimathea became more bold after Jesus died on the cross. And according to the book of Acts, other religious leaders were baptized and publicly identified with Jesus after the resurrection. But for the nation, it was too late. Judgment would fall on the nation in 70 AD with devastating death and destruction, just like in the Babylonian captivity. Uh, It would come when the Roman general Titus destroyed both the city of Jerusalem and the temple. Judgment was going to be, was coming, but God is still patient. He's going to give them 40 years as the gospel is proclaimed before that judgment falls. So that's John's commentary on Jesus' final invitation to Israel. Because they would not believe, judgment was pronounced, and they could not believe. But John isn't finished yet. We also see here John's summary of Jesus' gracious invitation to us his summary of his gracious invitation to us. Verses 44 to 50 are John's summary of what Jesus taught for three years. This is the elemental core teaching of Jesus right here in this passage. And I'll tell you, I never saw this before until I studied it um, over the last couple of weeks. This summary includes two warnings for those who refuse to believe in Jesus. Look at it, number one. If you do not believe in Jesus, you cannot know God. Now, this, again, this is not what I say. Look at it, this is what Jesus says. If you don't believe in Jesus, you cannot know God. Look at verse 44, you'll remain in the dark. And Jesus cried out and said, whoever believes in me, believes not in me, but in him who sent me. And whoever sees me sees him who sent me. Now, Jesus says right here what he's been saying all through the Gospel of John. I and the Father are one. If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. It's what John told us back in chapter one, my paraphrase, no one has ever seen God, but the only one who has come down from the Father's side has made him known, and John's talking about Jesus there. So Jesus says, if you refuse to believe in me, you cannot know God. Now, I know that's offensive to a lot of people. A lot of people think they know God. They say, well, I'm a very spiritual person. Or they might say, oh, sure, I believe in God, but I I believe in a God of love. I, I don't believe in a God of judgment. Or people say, sure, I believe in God, but not the God that Christians believe in. I my God is, a, is kind of a blend of Jesus and Buddha and Eastern mysticism and that kind of thing. But according to Jesus, if you do not believe in him, you do not know God. If you don't believe in Jesus, God the Son, second member of the, of the Godhead, Emmanuel, God with us, if you don't believe in his sinless life, his sacrificial death on the cross, his rising from the dead on the third day, his ascension back to the Father, his coming again to judge the quick and the dead, then according to Jesus, you don't know God, the one who sent him. 
That's the first thing. Knowing Christ means knowing the Father. Loving Christ means loving the Father. Receiving Christ means receiving the Father. And the opposite is also true. Rejecting Christ is rejecting the Father. And if you reject Christ, then you do not know God and you cannot know God. That's Jesus' word. And Jesus makes the same point by bringing out his favorite metaphor about light and darkness in verse 46. He says, I have come into the world as light that whoever believes in me may not remain in darkness. So if you believe in Jesus, if you, if you, if you have his light to see God for who he really is, then you come into eternal life. But if you don't believe in Jesus, you don't know God, you don't see God, and he says you remain in darkness. So that's the first point. If you do not believe in Jesus, you cannot know God, you remain in darkness. Now, the second thing we see here, the second warning is, if you do not believe in Jesus, you remain under judgment. You remain under a death sentence. Look at verse 47. If anyone hears my words and does not keep them, I do not judge him, for I didn't come to judge the world, but to save the world. The one who rejects me and does not receive my words has a judge, and that judge is the word that I have spoken, and that is what will judge him on the last day. Now, first of all, notice right here, verse 48, Jesus makes a categorical statement. There will be a last day. There will be a judgment day. But he also says in verse 47, I didn't come to judge the world, but to save the world. Meaning, I didn't come to judge the world this time. This time. The first time Jesus came, he came as Savior. He will come a second time as judge. He will come to judge the quick, the living, and the dead. But he says in verse 48, it's not actually me that judges. It's my word that judges. Verse 48, the word that I have spoken is what will judge him on the last day. The word I spoke is what will judge those who reject me on the last day. Now, what in the world does that mean? Well, think about it like this. Let's say you got a ticket because you were going 50 miles an hour in a 25-mile-per-hour zone. There's a law. You ignored the law. You broke it. You go to court. What actually convicts you? It's not really the judge, because he's not making things up as he goes along. There's a law, and there's a penalty for breaking the law. So it's the law that convicts you, that testifies against you, like this is what the law says, this is how you behaved, and you are guilty, and the penalty is fixed. Now that's what will happen on the last day at the great white throne of judgment. On that day, there will be books and the books will be open, and the record of the law will testify against you, and the death sentence for your sin will be declared, and that is fixed. But that's not all. <laughs> There's so much more. Not only will the law testify against you, but the gospel will testify against you, because you not only violated God's law, you also violated the gospel. People are condemned on the last day for violating the law of God and for rejecting the only remedy for the penalty imposed by their sin, and that is the gospel. 
the, so the gospel, like the law, will testify against you on the last day at the final judgment. We have all violated the law of God, and there is a fixed death sentence for that. But it's fixable. You can be saved from that. You don't have to die an eternal death. No, the gospel, the good news is that by believing in Jesus, believing that Jesus died for your sins and rose from the dead, by believing that he alone can forgive your sin and give you eternal life, you can be saved from the death sentence imposed by the law. The whole thing is fixable. You can be rescued, saved from that death sentence by putting your faith in Jesus, by believing the gospel, but you cannot escape judgment if you reject the gospel. If you reject Jesus, the death sentence stands and you remain under the judgment of God. So the gospel stands as the final call for us. The law says, do this or die. The gospel says, believe this or die. Listen to Jesus one more time. The one who rejects me and does not receive my words has a judge. The word that I have spoken will judge him on the last day. Unbelief leads to eternal death, and on the last day, that will become clear. Verse 49, for, in other words, the reason that the word Jesus' word will be the judge on the last day is because Jesus says, I have not spoken on my own authority, but the Father who sent me has given himself, has given me a commandment, a word, the word, what to say and what to speak, and I know that his commandment is eternal life. What I say, therefore, I say as the Father told me. Again, he's connecting himself with the God of the Old Testament. He's saying, I'm telling you what the Old Testament God told me to tell you. My, my word is his word. His word is my word. And then he adds one great glorious reality for those who believe. Look at verse 50. He said, I know that his commandment is eternal life. Commandment. What is the commandment? The commandment is to believe in Jesus for eternal life. The commandment is to believe. That's a command. Believe in Jesus for eternal life. Here's how Jesus put that in John chapter 8. He said, I'm going away and you will seek me and you will die in your sin. I told you that you would die in your sin unless you believe I am that I am, that's, that's a, a throwback, uh, that's Jesus' favorite expression, connecting himself to the God in the Old Testament. For unless you believe I am he, you will die in your sin. The commandment is to believe that Jesus is the Old Testament God come in the flesh. He's come to save us from God's judgment on our sins. To obey the commandment of the gospel or as Paul calls it, the obedience of faith. But to obey the command of the gospel is to believe in Jesus, to forgive your sin, to give you eternal life, and to save you from God's judgment. It's just that simple. And Jesus is saying, this is the commandment the Father gave me to give you. He says that in verses 49 and 50. The Father has given me a commandment, and this commandment is eternal life. 
Now hear, hear me. Here's the big idea. I'm going to say it a little bit different this time. When you believe that Jesus was sent by a loving Father to save you from judgment, you receive eternal life. When you believe that Jesus was sent by a loving God to save you from judgment, you receive eternal life. That truth, that gospel truth is both a call and a comfort. It's a call to those who have not yet believed, and it's a comfort to those who have believed. Let's look at that. Here's John's summary of Jesus' message that he gave us way back in John chapter 3, at the very beginning of Jesus' ministry. Here's the call to unbelievers. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, is not judged, but whoever does not believe remains under judgment. And this is the judgment. The light has come into the world and people love the darkness rather than the light because their actions were evil. Listen, to escape judgment by trying to obey the 10 commandments means you would have to keep them all perfectly, 100% of them all of the time. Because scripture says to break one is to break them all. And the penalty for breaking the law is fixed. It's eternal death. The bad news is there's no way of any of us, there's no way for any of us to escape uh, God's judgment by obeying all of God's commands. It's just not possible. But the good news is you only have to obey one command. One commandment, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. And the time to do that is now, right here, right now. If you feel God drawing you to Jesus, then believe in him now. Trust in him now. Put your faith in him now. You say, well, why? What's the, what's the rush? Because you don't know when God will call time. This could be his final call, your final call. I mean, do you see that in what we've talked about this morning? I'm not trying to be some hellfire brimstone preacher just making this stuff up, but this was what we've looked, just looked at. The final call to Israel in Isaiah's day was extended, and they would not believe, and so judgment came, and they could not believe. Same thing here in John 12. Many in Israel heard Jesus speak. They saw his divine power, but, then, uh, but they still would not believe, so then they could not believe. If you feel God tugging at your heart, if you sense God saying to you, this is the truth, it's all true, then believe. Believe it. Believe in Jesus and you will be saved. Listen, don't resist that voice. Don't reject that pull. Trust Christ for salvation right now and you will step out of judgment into eternal life. You will step out of darkness into light. You will step out of death into life. And that is not my word. It's Jesus' word. I, I, we looked at this last week, but it's one of my favorite verses uh, after John 3, 16, John 5, 24. Jesus said, I tell you the truth. 
that those who listen to my word and believe in God who sent me, they have right now in the present and extends on for eternity, they have eternal life and they will not come under judgment, but they have passed from death to life. Believe in Jesus. Believe that a loving God sent Jesus into the world to save you from your sin and you will not come under judgment. You will pass from death to life. I, I don't know how it could be any plainer, more clear, more simple than that. Now, some of you are ready to take that step. Some of you are taking that step even as I speak. And all you have to do is just tell God, tell God, I know I've sinned against you. I know I deserve death. But Jesus, I, I want you to know I do believe in you. I do believe your word. I do believe your promise to forgive my sin, to save me from judgment, and to give me eternal life. And right now, I'm putting my faith and trust in you and you alone. And if that expresses the desire of your heart and you're praying a prayer like that, it's not, there's no magic to the words of that, then by the word of Jesus, you will not come under judgment. You receive eternal life and it's a settled matter. And if you do that, if you've done that today, or, or you do it later on today, let us know. If you've done it, then mention it in the chat box on some of our online venues, or drop us a line and let us know. But that's the call to those who have not yet believed. Believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. But for those of us who have believed, that call to believe and be saved from judgment is a great comfort. Number two, the comfort for believers. Now, here's the deal. If you have put your faith in Jesus, your judgment day is in the past. That's the comfort of God's judgment. The future judgment is in your past. John 5, 24, again, by believing in Jesus, you will not come under judgment. You do not remain under judgment. You have passed from death to life. You have already heard the verdict of the last day. Not guilty. One more time, if you believe in Jesus, your future judgment is in the past. The world's judgment is in the future. Your judgment day is in the past, and there is great comfort in that. The Heidelberg Catechism, which is another very ancient document, it was compiled to uh, teach children and new believers the basic elements of the Christian faith through questions and answers. Um, the Heidelberg Catechism, question number 52, puts it perfectly. And we'll close with this. Question 52 reads, how does Christ return to judge the living and the dead comfort you? How does Christ return to judge the living and the dead comfort you? Here's the answer. In all my distress and persecution, with uplifted head, I confidently await the very judge who's offered himself to the judgment of God in my place and he has removed the whole curse, removed God's judgment from me. Isn't that good? The Christ who returns to judge us 
has already settled the judgment for us by offering himself up to the judgment of God in our place. Look at it again. In all my distress and persecution, I lift up my head and I confidently await the very judge who's already offered himself to the judgment of God in my place. That's why the Apostle Paul can cry out to those Christians in, in Rome, there is now therefore no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. And I'm telling you, I'm telling you, if you don't, if you don't understand this, then you will torment yourself when you fail or fall. You'll beat yourself up when you make a mistake. You will live with guilt and shame when you mess up. If you do not take comfort in this, you will live at the mercy of people who judge you and criticize you and pick at you and put you down. The mirror will judge you. Your paycheck will judge you. Your bank statement will judge you. Your waistline will judge you. Your resume will judge you. The college admission letter will judge you. And maybe worst of all, you will judge yourself by your worst moment. The things in this life are not your judge. People are not your judge. You are not your judge. If you've trusted Christ for salvation, the only judge that really matters has already judged you not guilty by reason of Christianity. <laughs> uh, not, the, the only judge that really matters has judged you not guilty by reason of Jesus, of Jesus, because Jesus offered himself to the judgment of God in your place. And he has forgiven you and saved you and sanctified you and put his very own spirit inside you. He's made you righteous with his own righteousness. He's made you holy with his own holiness. And that is the comfort of the gospel. So take comfort in that. Take comfort in that. Rejoice in that. For those who trust Christ for salvation... The comfort of God's judgment is knowing that our future judgment is in the past. It's already been settled because Jesus offered himself to the judgment of God in your place. Believe in Jesus and you'll be saved from God's future judgment and you'll be saved from every other shaming judgment in the present. I don't know what you're going through right now. I don't know what the voices in the head, in your head that are judging you. I don't know what you're telling yourself. I don't know what people are saying to you. But take comfort in the fact that the only judge that really matters has said, you're not guilty and I love you and I sent my son to die for you. Believe in him and there will never ever be any condemnation from me toward you. How does this gospel comfort speak into what you're going through right now? Father God, we thank you for this word. It is so plain and so clear. It is a hard word to digest because your judgment is an awful thing. It's a devastating thing. 
It's a harsh thing because we know that it is fixed. But God, we are so grateful that it's fixable because of Jesus. And God, I pray for anybody who's listening today, I pray that your spirit would draw them to Jesus, draw them to the cross of Jesus where he offered himself in our place and settled God's judgment once and for all. For it's in his name we pray, amen.